friends at the Prior Baptist Church who are going through the systematically through the Gospel of Matthew. And we've arrived to chapter 13, in which the Lord is giving us seven parables. And in those parables, He's unraveling, unveiling the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, He tells us what the life and the world in the world to come and the world around us is all about. So in those seven parables, he tells us everything that we really need to know of the world around us and the world to come. So the kingdom of heaven, each of those parables deals in one way or another with the gospel and with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you look in your Bibles at the beginning of chapter 13, the first parable says that this is a parable of the sower. And in it, the Lord tells us what's going to happen when we'll go out with the gospel to tell to others. How will people react to it? And encourages us knowing that although there will be rejections and there will be people who will fall away, there will be those who will receive the word and they will keep on growing and they will produce fruit that is pleasing to God. There is a second parable that is also given to us about the wheat and tares. And each simple parable that deals with the question of why does God still put up with evil? If God is all good, if God is all powerful, why is there evil in the world? And you know what this parable is telling us? That the Lord is merciful and gracious because if he were to destroy evil at this very moment he would also in the process will have to destroy many of us before our salvation so the long suffering of the lord is for our good because in this world we're able to be born and by god's grace born again amen the parable of the mustard seed tells us why is the kingdom seem so insignificant doesn't it feel this way that the church has such a little power, such insignificant influence in the world? And yet, you look at what this seed is becoming behind the scenes, how it is growing from generation to generation, from the beginning of the world until now. And that this mighty tree in the spiritual realm already doesn't, we wouldn't be able to see the boundaries of it. One day, it will be fully revealed, the full number of the people of God. Well, the parable of the leaven tells us how the gospel works in the in life of a believer. So as a leaven spreads in the, in the dough until everything is leavened, so does the gospel in our hearts. Quietly, silently, and yet the Holy Spirit makes changes in our own lives and hearts so that we resemble whom? Lord Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Now, today's parable is slightly different. There are actually two parables that speak to one and the same truth about us. And they are telling us of the worth of the kingdom of heaven. You can read it in different way. How much are you willing to give to become part of the kingdom of heaven? Or even the third title can be given us Jesus Christ, the greatest treasure we can ever possess. So look into this parable. Today, And I would like to start with asking you whether any of you have ever been on a treasure hunt. I know that there are quite a lot of enthusiasts. Oh, there is somebody there. 
Did you find something? Classic coin, so brilliant. That is good. You know, there are loads of people actually going around hunting treasures. When we're with Monica on the, on the, on the beach alongside uh, broadsters, from the early morning, could see a guy coming who would just go around with metal detector and he says, well, I'm already too late. He says, oh, sorry. Was there somebody there? Okay. He was already there about 7 a.m., but he says to us, he's the last one. There were people going there at 5 a.m. It's incredible. So, but one story of treasure hunt really did caught my attention. It was called Forest Fence Treasure. It was actually, he was actually an art dealer and author of a book who hid a treasure chest in the rock, Rocky Mountains in the United States. So he got a little treasure chest in which he put, do you know how much? About five million worth of goods. And he wrote a book with a little poem that got about 24 lines in it and he left nine clues for the people to find the treasure chest. If you find it, it's yours. Simple as that. Well, <laughs> not that simple. He hid it in year 2012 and the treasure was discovered just recently. Guess the number of people that tried to find it. 350,000 at least. This is the people we know of. There are people who spent alone more than 10,000 hours and made 300 trips looking for the treasure. There were people who spent over $75,000 looking for it and they didn't find it. There was a man actually who moved to the Colorado from Tennessee in order to give his life in the pursuit of this treasure. He must find it. Now, there were numerous crimes committed while people were looking for it. So it's not difficult to imagine that people will start digging everywhere. The problem was they started digging in the private properties or uh, people would dig under the monuments and destroy certain monuments illegally. There was also a burglar who got, who got into the house of Mr. Fenn Forrest trying to get the clues. And he was held at a gunpoint until the police arrived. <laughs> you cannot make this up. Sadly, there were also those who didn't only give their time, money, and energy. But there were five people that died in the process of searching. Some people fell from the cliffs. Some people were going through a very, very strong currents and, and sadly drowned. There were people who were just simply lost in the wilderness and ran out of supplies. And when the help arrived, it was already too late for them to be helped. You know, the question is this. Why are people risking doing it? Why are people putting their life at stake to find treasures? Any idea? Greed, yes. What else motivates them? Excitement, maybe sense of adventure, maybe to be written in the history books as somebody who's done something that uh, many people failed to do. But you see, every one of them most likely thought it was well worth it. 
And that's probably what it was, the motivation at the end of the day. Well, if those many people were giving themselves to the treasures that are here today and perish tomorrow, think about the treasure that we have in Christ Jesus, who is infinitely more precious than anything this life, this world, this universe even have. Paul tells us how valuable Christ is to him. When you open the letter to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul tells us but that whatever gain I had, so this is Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because, and notice that, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. How valuable, how valuable was Christ in Paul's eyes? That's the question. Think about it in this way. When Paul looked back on all, at all of his achievements, at everything he had, what word did he use? All of this he built by himself with his own strength, with his own might, with his own goodness, with his own power. He says, in comparison with Christ, this is just a pile of rubbish. In fact, Greek language uses far stronger word for that, which maybe I will just downplay a little bit, say it's dung. It smells. It's of no use whatsoever. He says Christ's worth is far more surpassing. And on the account of him, Paul calculated in his mind, he says he's happy to lose his life, everything that he had, only to gain Christ. You, all, you want to be on a treasure hunt? Oh, my friends, you need to discover Christ and his worth. And that's why in this parable, when the kingdom of God is compared to the treasure, to the precious pearl, it really is speaking about the value of Christ Jesus. So this is how we're going to use it throughout the sermon. So, so be prepared for that. But I would like to ask you this question. How is the kingdom of heaven found? How is the kingdom of heaven found? Now, there are two ways in which people are finding treasures in this world. Number one, they stumble upon them by accident. It happens. Or number two, they commit their life to find it. They go every day, they search, they try to get any clues possible until they will find this treasure. They are on this conscious pursuit to get what they are looking for or you just got some lucky of course luck, and we don't believe in luck providentially blessed people that just simply stumble upon it so let's look at the first group then that the kingdom of heaven is given as a gift for the one who did not really search for it now in 2019 there was a man who took his dog for a walk and also took with him on that particular day his two daughters. 
That happened in Australia, in Bendigo. I have no idea where it is. You may tell me. Australia is quite big. But he was quite glad that on that occasion and on that walk, he took his two daughters because his daughters started playing with the stones and started kicking them around just randomly. And the daughter says, Dad, Dad, this stone looks shiny. And he says, oh, okay, all right, daughter. No, no, Dad, really, it looks really shiny. And he went, I think it's gold. And he says, don't be silly. And then he looked and was like, whoa. <laughs> he took the gold nugget to the local store because they, locally there was, there was no uh, jeweler to actually assess the value. So he took it to the local store and it weighed about 20 ounces. So the estimated price at that time was about $24,000. Anybody thinking like going for a walk today? <laughs> but I wonder, have you ever found something precious by accident? Simply by walking around, simply by minding your own business and, oh, there it is, a little couple of pounds or maybe there is a 20 pound note or something else. Uh, you know, the last time I've been around Tesco, it was very strange. On one occasion, I found somebody's credit card because I returned it, don't worry. And then I found somebody's cell phone. Calls Dante same, returned it as well. But it just seemed like whenever I started going to Tesco, I'm finding something. Uh, well, there we go. Now, the Lord tells us that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the Lord tells us this story that will be actually probably quite well known because these things still happen. Lo and behold, there was a man working on a field, whether he was plowing or digging something with his shovel. All of a sudden, he just heard something like, bing! And then, and behold, he opened the ground to find loads of shiny objects. A treasure. You know, in those days, it was very common to actually, if somebody had some possessions, riches, they would bury them and hide them. Because they don't have a banks to simply deposit their, their, whatever they've got, they've got whatever riches they have. So if there was a siege, if there was a war, if there was any danger of losing your own well belongings, people would just simply dug some holes, they would hide the treasures, and hope that one day they will return to retrieve them. But you know what happened during war? People sadly die. And those treasures that they buried, they are there. So even in the United Kingdom today, you can see people, you read hundreds of articles of, of people who just were doing their field, who were going with metal detectors somewhere around, and they find incredible amounts of coins, gems, Jewelry, you name it. Loads and loads of things. So here is the man who finds this treasure by accident. And probably the point of the story so far is this, that some people receive the gospel, they receive the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they never search for him. Isn't that strange that the Lord Jesus Christ simply happens to happen to them at the moment when they expect him the least? Now, 
Do we have any characters in the scripture that actually that happened to? They were minding their own business. They've been just doing their own thing. And all of a sudden, boom, the Lord happened to them. I wonder, do we have any characters like that? Sorry? Oh, yes. Yes, we've got her. What about Apostle Paul? You think about this. He was on his way to Damascus to arrest those pesky Christians and to get rid of them. To close down the churches and all of a sudden the Lord Jesus Christ came and appeared to him. And then his whole life was turned around. You think about the shepherds in the story that we, that, that we read in the, at the Christmas time. That they were just minding their own business. They were just looking after the sheep in the field in the middle of the night. And lo and behold, angels appealed to them. Tell them the gospel and says, go and find this child. And lo and behold, they went. You think about characters in scriptures like, like some of the apostles. They were just doing their own stuff. Matthew, for example, the author of the gospel is one of them. He was just doing his business. He was, he was in all honesty, most likely a greedy man, devoted for money, willing to sell his nation, even only to, to give himself a little bit of additional income for the riches. And lo and behold, the Lord stood next to him at the tax office and says, Follow me. And Matthew left everything to follow Christ. It's incredible. Maybe that's your story. You, you haven't been searching for Christ. You haven't been looking. And all of a sudden, Christ has come into your life out of nowhere, took hold of your mind, of your heart, and, lo- and you are here with us today, a born-again person. It's grace. It's God's grace. You see, the Lord told us in Isaiah 65, verse 1. He says, Isaiah 65, verse 1. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am. To a nation that was not called by my name. It's incredible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And who is saved actually is all happening according to God's will. The Lord told us that He will have mercy upon whom He will have mercy. And He will show compassion to whom He will decide to show compassion. So it's not up to human will or endeavor. It's actually up to God to grant somebody eternal life. So don't be surprised that Jesus happened in your life. He came out of His own will because He loved you in order to save you. And give you the eternal kingdom. It's beautiful. Beautiful. So. Kingdom. Can be given. Simply by accident. But secondly. The kingdom of heaven. Is given also to those. Who diligently search for it. Maybe you are the other, another. Type of the person. That speaks in verses 45 and 46. Again. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. How did this merchant find this pearl? Did it just happen by accident? Well, in some ways, yes, but in another, no. 
Notice that this is the merchant whose particular trade was to search and research for the fine pearls. Now, pearls in those days were incredibly valuable, but we'll come back to that later. They were the, the, the most precious of all the gems in the world. They were more precious than diamonds. They were more precious than rubies. They were the most precious things that a person could possess because of the difficulty of finding them. So this is the merchant who was probably quite well off, who made a fortune of, on finding the fine pearls. So he was probably in a search somewhere in the market, and then lo and behold, his eye spots a pearl like no other. He sees perfection. He sees the rarity. He sees that this is the unique beauty that he's never, ever seen before. Maybe only heard in legends that there are, that there are pearls of this shape, this color, this size. He says, this cannot really exist. And there it was. What does he do? He sells everything he has only to get that one. He knows it is well worth it. His eye is able to tell him. So friends, many treasures also have been discovered by those who gave their life away in order to find them. There are people who are searching for certain treasures for 20, 30, 40 lives until they found it. And maybe you are something, somebody like this, that you are searching for the truth. You are searching for the meaning. You have been looking all around the place, all various religions, all various philosophies, all various teachings, only to find the truth, only to find the sense, only to find the purpose, only to find that piece of a puzzle that will hold it all together. Christ is whom you are looking for. Friends, there were people in Scripture like this who were studying and searching. And Nicodemus was one of those things in John chapter 3 who came to Jesus at night, at night and he was looking for eternal life. He says, I know that you come from heaven. Well, of course, his real question was, how can I get there? But he didn't spell it out. The Lord did it for him. He knew what was in Nicodemus's heart. So then he started the discussion and told him how to be born again. It's by faith, by believing, by the work of the Holy Spirit. And something happened to Nicodemus. The next time we meet him in the Bible, he defends Jesus Christ. Then after that, we find him that he goes together with Joseph of Arimathea, risking his own reputation and who knows what else to retrieve the body of Christ and put him into the grave. Something happened to this man that night. Maybe you are a little bit like John, the author of John's Gospel, and Nathaniel, who were seeking for the Messiah, who were seeking when is salvation going to come with their whole life. Maybe a little bit like Simon and Anna, the temple. The moment they saw Jesus Christ, they knew that's the one. That's the one. Remember this beautiful scene, scenery when Simon takes the baby Jesus into his hands and he praises God saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see that? When you discover real Christ of the Bible, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to search anywhere else. You are satisfied. You know you've found the greatest treasure this life and the life to come ever possesses. Search Him. So how is the eternal life found? Again, it may happen simply by God's grace giving it to you straight away. But it may also happen by this vigilant pursuit. But secondly, what is the kingdom of God worth? That's quite a good question, isn't it? What is the kingdom of God really worth? Like we've spoken in a moment ago, pearls used to be the most expensive commodity of in that days. That's why in the illustration in the book of Revelation, the gates of heaven in a symbolic language are made up of giant pearls. Because there is nothing more precious than pearls known at this day and time. Now, can I ask you this thing? Guess. Just try to guess the worth of the most expensive pearl. One pearl. Not the necklace. Just one pearl in this world today. Give, have it a go. Come on. Five million. Beat more than that, brother. Well, a bit, beat more than that. But it's a good guess. Just one pearl. One hundred million dollars. So probably around 80,000, 80,000, 80 million UK of UK's pounds. That happened to a fisherman, a Filipino fisherman, by, again, accident. He was just diving, and uh, all of a sudden he felt like opening this giant clam. And he opened the clam, and uh, inside he found a pearl that he barely was able to bring to the surface. The size of it is about two feet long. It weighs about 75 pounds. It's like a, like a big child. And he's actually held in a, in a big museum and it was discovered because this man, he didn't think much about this pearl. He just kept it under his bed like a good charm. But then his house burned and the pearl was discovered and the museum took hold of it. And he says that the estimation price is about $100 million. <laughs> it's incredible. So let me compare that with this couple of questions. What is finding the truth worth? What is finding the, the real, eternal, self-sacrificial love worth? What is finding real hope worth for the soul? What is finding redemption, the forgiveness of sins worth? What is finding eternal life worth? What is finding peace and love of God worth? Priceless. At their deathbed, even the, most, the richest people were recorded to say, I will give away everything I've got only for one more second in this life. Christ, he says, he promises us not just eternal life as it means the length of life. It means the quality of life when the perfection lives, where God dwells and, he walk, and people are walking in his presence forever and ever. When there is no evil, no sin, when there is no suffering, when there are no economical collapses, when there, 
world is perfect and restored to its full glory. Christ is the one who lets us into that heaven and Christ is the most precious gem of heaven. It is priceless. So notice that in our story, finding this treasure of this pearl actually doesn't come difficult to these people, isn't it? As soon as the person finds the treasure, what, does he, what, did, what did he do? He finds the treasure and what's the next thing he does? He covers it. That was allowed under Mosaic law, by the way. If you find scattered coins or the hidden treasure, you, it, it was yours. But it was in somebody's field, so he went to buy the field. He, how much did he give for that field? Everything he owed. Why? Because he knew that the treasure he was just about to acquire is worth far more than he ever had or possessed. It's the same with the man, with the merchant who went to the market. Why did he pay everything he had for this fine pearl? Because he knew this fine pearl was well worth it. Friends, do you feel like that about Christ? Paul, in Ephesians chapter 3, we just read, he looked at Christ and he says, so the surpassing worth of Christ is far more worth, it's worth probably, if he would tell it that to us today, it's worth a thousand lives of Apostle Paul. Everything he had, that's how highly he viewed Christ Jesus. You cannot compare him with anything and with anyone. You know, people desire riches of this world. People desire fame. People desire to have Great bank accounts. As somebody says, I don't need much in life. I just need, I just need a hug. I just need a bed to sleep and five million pounds in my account. And that's it. And I will be happy. <laughs> Sorry. I, I couldn't resist that one. Um, but those things pass away. They don't last. So that's why Christ told us also in the Gospel of Matthew to search for the treasures that last forever. In the kingdom of God, when they will never perish, when they will never be taken away, there are treasures that are of eternal value. I mean, the kings of Egypt, you think about them, when they were buried in their tombs, they took with them gold and treasures and food and even servants, some of them, to their graves. And you know what happens? Off they went to eternity and everything, what they thought they can take with them, was left behind in this world. It's not going to last. The little treasures you acquire for yourself in this life. You know what Solomon says? He says, well, I try to get as much wealth as possible in this life. But this is also vanity because I don't know if the, if the person who comes next to me will not waste it all. He says, what's then the point of this sweat, of this toil and acquiring treasures? If eventually it's going to be lost. And you know what? Exactly that's what happened with Rehoboam. He lost it in a moment. All of these treasures of this world can be taken away. Christ cannot be taken away. He remains forever. His kingdom is priceless. And the worth far more than we can ever have because of the true value of its ruler. And that is Jesus Christ. The true treasure of heaven. He, so this is the price. But let's look at the third point quickly. What are you willing to do and pay in order to receive it? 
What are you willing to pay and do in order to receive it? See, first story that we looked at the Finn's treasure, people were willing to give up their time, their money, trips, they, to put up with the nature. Some people even died in order to try to get these treasures. This one is of value that cannot be calculated. This worth is eternal. So how much we are willing to pay in order to have it? The characters in our stories, both the working man and the merchant, they're willing to give everything they had only to receive it. Why? Because they knew it's going to be all worth it. And the value of this treasure, the value of the kingdom of God is far greater than anything they had. Now, Paul in Romans 8, verse 18, tells us something very interesting. He says that the troubles, the suffering of this life are not even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you see that? If I were to, to, to take all of my life, all of the sorrows, pressures, disappointments, sins, discouragement, and put them on a one scale of the, of, the, of, of the scales, and I will put the Christ Jesus and the kingdom to come, you know what's going to happen? All of the worries, all of that is going to be gone. That's why Paul was able to say with full assurance that kill me now and I'm losing nothing. I will be in the kingdom of God. I'm losing absolutely nothing. I've got a treasure that is eternal and no one is able to snatch it away from me. Put me into the deepest dungeon of the prisons in Rome. Christ is with me there. My treasure is unmoved. Flog me. You are not going to take away anything from me because my health is going to be restored in heaven. When there will be no sorrow and no sufferings. I can suffer under tyrannical rulers because I know my real ruler who will reign over me forever and ever is the Lord who loved me so much that he was willing to die for me on the cross of Calvary. Peter tells us we are redeemed not with the silver or gold that is perishing, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Friends, we've got King who is worthy whose worth cannot be calculated into money. And I hate even thinking about the thought to try to compare the worth of the person of Christ Jesus with money. Would you be willing to, today, how, how, would you like the question asked for me, how much is your mom worth to you if you could put it into money? You would be right to be upset because it says there is no amount of money anyone could pay me for, for, for my mom or for my dad. Same is with Christ. But Christ is far more worthy of our love and honor and adoration than anyone else that we could ever love. He is a faithful friend that never fails. He is the one who keeps his promises forever. And he is the one who proved his commitment and his love and his trustworthiness for us upon that cross of Calvary. Friends, Christ is beyond understanding. His worth cannot be measured. So let this be your priority in your life. Christ Jesus and Him alone. If you found Him, understand this, you found the greatest treasure in the world. If you haven't found Him yet, you are missing a lot. Search for Christ. 
Look for him. And when you find him, you will see how he will satisfy and fill your soul with good. But there is also something else, a little twist I wanted to ask you. Can salvation be bought? Can it be purchased? No, we cannot do that. Ephesians chapter 8 and 9 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. And this is not our own doing. Lest we would boast. This is not of human will. So why does the Lord tell us in this parable that these characters, they sold everything in order to get the kingdom of God? Do you see the problem here? In one place in the Bible, it says it's free gift of grace. In another, actually in here, the Lord tells us that the characters were willing to lose it all for the sake of Christ. How can this be solved? Well, when you come to Isaiah 55, verses 1 and 2, Isaiah tells you that actually there is an exchange happening. There is a price, but not the one that we think of. The Lord says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Buying, but without money, without goods? That's a very strange exchange, isn't it? But this is the gospel. Like Paul says, he was willing to lose everything for the sake of Christ Jesus, his Lord. It means this. When the Lord comes into your life, when he becomes your savior and your king, he becomes your first love and he takes over. And guess what? He gets rid of all the rubbish of this life. All the other idols, all the other gods, all the other pursuits, all the other conflicting Passions, they go away. They are being crucified and they are gone. We ourselves are being refined with sanctification that comes from the Lord. And all of this rubbish, sin and evil is taken away. If you want to know Christ and his love, the Lord tells us you need to die to self. That love is costly because Peter tells, Peter tells Jesus, Lo and behold, we've given up everything we had in order to follow you. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, Well done, and, be, and truly I tell you, there will be not any one of those who will leave their homes and their families for my name's sake and will not receive a hundredfold in this life and the life to come. What is happening today? I would love to be in Poland. I would love to be with my family. But Christ called me to serve in the United Kingdom. And guess what's going on here? I've got my brothers and sisters in this life today in how many churches? I cannot calculate. I had several spiritual moms that I can say in the churches that I've been part of. Who looked after me, loved me just like my mom. This is happening in this life. We exchange really nothing in comparison with what Christ is giving us. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, the eye have not seen, the ear, the ear has not heard, the things the Lord has prepared for us. So when Christ takes, the, takes priority in our lives, it means to treasure Him the most, and is to have Him above all other loves 
in our own lives. You cannot have Christ and love this world. You cannot have Christ and love, love the things of this world. If I ask you about these characters, what they have in com- common, Ananias and Sapphira, Demas and Judas, what do they have in common? They love the world. In one way, they were trying to portray themselves, I follow the Lord. On another way, they actually says, now I love my little rubbish more. I love my little gold mines, says Demas. I love my little silver coins, says Judas. Ananias and Sapphira, I love, we love our money more than honesty and love of the Lord. You see, they treasured this life more than Christ. And that was their tragedy. But when you think of Matthew, when you think of Zacchaeus, when you think of characters like that who all of a sudden were set free from the love of money, from the love of this world, and they followed Christ, you know what happened? They were absolutely free. They followed him. And those bonds, those chains, those enslaving chains burst away. And they've been freed by the Savior with a new perspective to seek him and his riches. So the Lord still tells us this one thing. Love him. Treasure him above all. The worth of Christ cannot be calculated. The worth of God cannot be calculated. And you will do right to search God and to seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. And guess what? When you are free from all of those other loves, when you give yourself wholly to the service of Christ, God will provide everything that you will need. That's a promise from a faithful God. You may not overflow. You may not have several mansions in this life. This may not happen. But you have Christ and the promise and the kingdom. May God be praised. Amen.